Ramble. My dog Mango has been with me through some really crazy times in life. I mean, she's been with us for the past 10 years. If you guys don't know, Mango is my little French bulldog with half hair. Okay, she's fuzzy only half the time. And she is literally the glue of my family. I have quite literally named an entire podcast and a YouTube channel from my dog Mango. She is the reason that these channels exist. But three years ago, Mango was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease and she was always at risk of excessive bleeding. Her fur was falling out in clumps. It was it was a pretty stressful time in my life. I was constantly emotional about Mango being in pain and then I would be, get so stressed out every time I started going over the vet bills. Every time we took her to the vet, it was like thousands of dollars because her condition was so difficult to treat. And I am just so thankful that we had savings to cover it. I wish I had known about Spot Pet a few years back. It would have just eased so much of that stress. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, is here to share a message today on how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Because with Spot Pet Insurance, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. Our dogs are always there for us during our hardest times, and we need to be there for them too. Go to spotpet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit spotpet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductibles, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Bada bing, bada boo. Welcome to this week's mini-sode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue. And they were kind of like one of those sitcom families. Do you know what I'm talking about? Marco's in the bath, butt naked, and one by one, each family member would just pop their little head in. They're unwanted, but the whole thing almost has this innocent, comedic effect to it. They would sit around him, chit-chat, and he's trying to get some nice alone time in the bath. He's trying to get rid of them. He's, he's trying to nicely push them out, but they're not getting the hint. Someone's coming in to gurgle mouthwash really grossly. Another person might be coming in to get ready to go to the club. And Marco just wanted to take a bath. All these people, they're shuffling in and out. They're all comfortable with each other. I mean, that much is clear, right? Marco technically wasn't part of the family, but he was dating the daughter, Martina. Even Martina's father shuffled in and out of the bathroom. It would have been a situation that almost had this wholesome comedic aspect to it. Until... One of them was killed in the bathroom. They were shot? Or were they killed by a hairbrush? Yes, no, it was a hairbrush. It's hard to say because the others just couldn't get their story straight. As always, full show notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com, but this is an Italian case. I tried to do my best with making sure that nothing was lost in translation, but please let me know if I missed something, or honestly, if you just have more information about this case, because I would love to know. And something about Italian cases, they kind of get your blood boiling in a different type of way, and this is literally the embodiment of that. So if you guys are like me and you aren't going to Italy this summer, just hold on. J.R. War once said, Welcome to the wonderful world of jealousy. For the price of admission, you get a splitting headache, a nearly irresistible urge to commit murder, and an inferiority complex. It's like we all know this, but we can't help it. We're all jealous by nature. I mean, of course, in varying degrees. A healthy dose of jealousy is expected. But what if it gets to be too much? What if you're too jealous? No matter what your ex-boyfriend tried to gaslight you into thinking, I would imagine that most of us are just normal human beings. We get some jealousy here, maybe in a relationship, maybe in a workplace, maybe in some friendships. 
You're like, actually, no, I almost murdered my coworker. Listen, if that's you, just sit this one out, okay? But to a degree, for most of us, it's normal. A lot of researchers claim jealousy is seen in all cultures, and it's a universal trait. I mean, jealousy has been observed in infants as young as five months old, which is kind of wild when you think about it. Which, side note, just to clarify, even though jealousy and envy are used interchangeably, it's technically not the same thing. Jealousy is that scared, anxious feeling that you get at the idea of losing something that you have. Maybe you're scared of losing your partner. Maybe your friend, your relationship, your status. So jealousy is coming from fear of loss? Yeah, it's like the anxiety of losing something you perceive or think that you already have. Huh. Okay. So what about things that I want to have? That's envy. Envy is the feeling that occurs when you want something, but you don't have it and another person does. Okay, I see. So for example, you could envy someone's looks or a lifestyle or grades or salary. Jealousy is more rooted in those anxious perceived threats. I mean, don't get me wrong. Both feelings are strongly associated with insecurity, but jealousy is more of that oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I can't lose this, I can't do this, like I can't screw it up. Whereas envy is more of this longing resentment. Like why does this person deserve it and I don't? Mm -hmm. Kind of like that feeling. So to make it easy, jealousy can be used as don't take my blank. And envy is more like I want your blank. Envy technically it's considered the worst of the two. I guess it's more associated with greed and wanting what your neighbor has. Envy is actually commonly associated with people who have feelings of happiness at other people's misfortune. So that's kind of more commonly associated with envy. Whereas jealousy is almost seen as this protective nervous stance. But either way, regardless of which one is worse, both emotions are incredibly destructive. And you can feel both at the same time. So get this, you can be jealous that your partner is out there potentially running into other people and you can be envious of that particular coworker of theirs because maybe they're younger than you. Maybe you think they're more attractive than you. Maybe they're more fit than you. Maybe they're richer than you. They say to differentiate between envy versus healthy feelings of longing is to ask yourself, do I hate this person for having what I don't have? Would I be happy if this person lost what I don't have, even though it literally doesn't impact me? And do I feel like in order for me to have what they have, they need to lose what they have? That's really confusing. But this is what the internet is saying. So if yes, you're probably feeling an unhealthy degree of envy. You should get that checked out. Now, I'm just saying. (laughs) Checked out by who? (laughs) (laughs) With yourself, your therapist. Go ask a parent. Like, talk to somebody about it. (laughs) Maybe not the person you're trying to kill, though, because that's too much. Now, enough about envy. Let's get back to jealousy. There's a lot of different types of jealousy. And it's usually categorized by the true underlying feelings that creates that said jealousy. So one of the ways is jealousy as a way to get attention. This is someone who is super jealous. So they try to make you even more jealous than they are. So this is the relationship partner that's like, gosh, are you talking to girls out there? Mm -hmm. So every time you come home, they're like this 25 year old hot dude just hit on me. Oh my God. When I went to the mall, this like group of guys were like, can I get your number? You know, they try to one up you. They try to make you more jealous. (laughs) So there's a psychological reason for everything that we do. Exactly. We're such animals. We can't even be controlled. We are not that eloquent or evolved. (laughs) There's jealousy as a manifestation of fear of losing a loved one. So this is typically from, let's say, someone who's seeing all of these other people breaking up. Maybe they see online all these people are caught cheating and all those TikToks of, if your boyfriend's name is Dave and you live in L.A., 
he was with this girl and they were talking about how ugly you are, Sandra. You know, like those TikToks. So you start feeling discouraged. You start feeling like that's going to happen to you. So it's kind of coming from this anxiety of losing this relationship. Then there's jealousy as a result of low self-esteem. You fear that your partner is going to find someone younger and more attractive than you. Jealousy as a habitual model of behavior. This is when the partner's friends and family are completely chill to their jealousy. Like it's just so normal. Imagine your sister is telling you, So then I broke into his house. I waited under the bed with 25 different recording devices. I actually had hired a PI to do this, but they said it was super illegal, so they didn't. Anyway, I brought my mom along just in case I got arrested, and I was waiting there. And someone came home, and I was about to pop out and surprise him and catch him in the act, cheating. But then I realized that I was in the wrong apartment, and I broke into somebody else's apartment. And it was just like a silly weekend. Do you know what I mean? And then everybody else is like, oh my God, that's so silly. Like, I've been there. I've done that. Like, we get it. You're like, what? None of this is normal. Nobody is flinching to this. So that means they're surrounded by people who think that this is not jealousy. This is a normal standard relationship behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, who are these people? (laughs) I don't get it. I guess these are the ones that like, listen, I don't know. Maybe I'm one of them. (laughs) I can't act like I haven't done a crazy thing or two in relationships. But, you know, that's just you're going by everybody's behavior. So you think that this is a normal relationship. Then there's jealousy as a sign of betrayal. So this is when people act jealous because they are the ones betraying the relationship. They might even be overly jealous because the concept is if they can cheat, why wouldn't their partner cheat? There's jealousy as a manifestation of a sense of ownership. This is one of the scarier ones. This means that your partner wants to control you. They're scared of losing you, but more importantly, they're scared of losing control over you. This is the type that leads to murder because losing that control over you is worse than losing you in general. This type of jealousy gets very easily physical very, very fast. Then there's jealousy as a manifestation of mental illness. Now, this one is tricky because have you heard of pathological jealousy, aka morbid jealousy or otherwise known as Othello syndrome. So this is from the Shakespeare play of Othello murdering his wife after he suspects her of cheating. And it's an actual psychological disorder. Someone is so preoccupied with the thought of their spouse or sexual partner being unfaithful, even though they have no proof in the world. This is not one of those gaslighting situations where their gut is telling them and they know that they're cheating and they have a mountain of evidence of all these small things. It's not like that. This is straight up when someone accuses you of sleeping with your coworker, Mike, and his twin, Matt, and your neighbor, Sam, and maybe even his brother, Sean. And if you're like, how would I do that? Because I spend all day with you. I go to work. You literally know where I am at all times. Where would I find the time? And they'll cite you normal everyday events to back up their claims. Well, you spent 40 minutes in the bathroom instead of 38.2 like you normally do. So you climbed out of the window and had sex with a neighbor and I know it. People who suffer from this disorder, they have strong associations with stalking, cyber stalking, sabotaging people's lives. Like these are the partners that will sabotage your chances at a promotion behind your back because they think if you get promoted, you're going to sleep with more people for some reason. And they may also typically resort to violence. A woman named Charlotte said that the symptoms of Othello syndrome, the very rare disorder, seem to come out of the blue. She said, I'm typically not jealous of other females and I'm very confident in my appearance and my abilities. So I would say that I was developing this irrational fear of infidelity and abandonment. 
the symptoms at first, they, they started small. I believed that my partner was hurting me and it got so bad that the pain and depression it caused, I mean, sometimes I even thought it would be better if my partner just went ahead and cheated because then I wouldn't have to wait for it to happen. Even if Charlotte watches shows of people cheating, uh, movies or cheating in songs, newspaper articles about cheating, it'll just set her off and she'll have a panic attack and be depressed for days on end. Rachel, another woman with this condition said, she knew that she was going to get it too. She saw that her mom had it growing up. Her mom was insanely jealous. If her mom found her dad's Playboy magazines, she would rip them up page by page, tape them on the wall, and scream at her husband in front of all of her kids. She would scream at her husband, look at your whores now. Are you having fun? If anyone remotely pretty came on the TV screen, she would demand to know if he wanted to sleep with them. Just famous actresses, anyone on TV, commercials, anything. And even if your partner is being polite to another person, it's going to make you feel like they're cheating on you. And it's so intense, it takes over their lives. Probably the most well-known case of this was a woman named Debbie Wood. Debbie Wood went viral for forcing her fiancé to take a lie detector test every time he left the house. She banned him from watching any TV with any girls on them. So it had to be like an all-male cast. How do you even find a show like that? (laughs) Who's watching shows like that? Or even looking at pictures of them in magazines. If Steve went out for 15 minutes to buy milk, she had him take a lie detector test when he gets back home. She's like, did you look at the girls at the shop? She didn't even want him to think that someone was attractive because he should only have eyes for her. I mean, how does he handle that? He says he loves her enough to handle it. Oh, okay. Yeah. She said one night an ad for a woman's razor came up and she just felt this panic that Steve was looking at the model, was thinking something about the model. Now, regardless of the reason why people are jealous, I think it's fascinating. I think a lot of it lies in that humans are scared of loss or betrayal. But ultimately, I also think it's humans are scared of uncertainty. I think, okay, so there was this study done that shows that people hate the feeling of uncertainty more than the feeling of knowing something bad is going to happen. People would rather bite the bullet and have something bad happen rather than being worried that something bad might happen. Yeah. Which, I mean, technically, if you think about it logically, your chances of having the uncertainty is better because the bad thing might not happen. Yeah. But people would rather just the bad thing happen. Just do it. It's crazy. Isn't it? Fascinating. I imagine if it's like um, you were to give $1 million in cash to someone, you have to keep it in cash on your body at all times. So it's like a little game. If you don't spend it for the first five years, you can't deposit it into a bank. There's no ways to outsmart the game. You can't loan out the $1 million. You have to keep all $1 million on your body at all times. And everyone knows you have $1 million on you at all times in cash. There's a neon sign that says, I have a million dollars in cash right over your head. And after five years, you'll get $3 million. You know, because you succeeded the game. Wouldn't you lose sleep thinking about all the bad ways all these nasty little people would come in and steal your money? That sounds like an interesting movie concept. Right? But this is how a lot of people compare jealousy to relationships, which is kind of bad because $1 million is property. (laughs) It's not another living, breathing human being. Mm -hmm. But it's this feeling of, oh my God, all these people are after it. They're trying to steal it from me. 
Some people might even go as far as thinking about, I just wish the whole thing just never existed. I just wish the $1 million never existed. The game never existed because then I wouldn't sit there thinking, what if I did this? Or should I have done that? Or what about this? Or maybe what if someone else gets the $1 million and they're just out there with money that could have been mine? But if the $1 million game never happened, you just wouldn't have to worry about it because it simply doesn't exist anymore. Poof, gone. And maybe that's the best way to describe what Martina was feeling. Martina and Marco were a high school couple. They were each other's first serious relationship, which, you know, can be a really good thing, can be a wonderful thing, can be a huge learning experience, but it can also be really toxic. I think in this situation, Marco and Martina, neither of them really knew how to communicate that well. They didn't really know what they were looking for in a partner. Both parties were a bit inexperienced, which is to be expected. And this was kind of like... I also think like the more you date, the less jealous you become. So this being their first love, like their first relationship, they were pretty jealous. They were also way too young and too new to dating to feel secure within themselves. They kind of really latched on to each other, especially Martina. Marco Vanini was a catch and she knew it. She knew her boyfriend was hot. She was reminded of it all the freaking time. Marco was blonde, handsome, fit, 20 years old with this bright big future ahead of him. Right now, he was working as a lifeguard at a local resort in Italy in a small town about 30 miles from Rome. So the town is called Ladispoli, and it's really picturesque. <laughs> Listen, I want to go to Italy so bad. It's got beautiful beaches. You can visit the old castles from ancient Rome and the amount of delicious seafood that you're going to eat. You should probably pack some loose clothes because you're probably going to eat until you drop. Oh, and this is fascinating. Apparently, there's black sand beaches in the Ladispoli town. The sand is black and it doesn't look like that brownish kind of dirty sand. It's like pure black. Really? What is it called? Is yeah. Ladispoli. Look up black sand Ladispoli. Whoa. I know. It looks so magical. Whoa. It almost looks cleaner because the juxtaposition of the blue water and then the black sand. That is trippy. Oh, it looks so good. No. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> it's definitely, it looks like a parallel universe beach. It's definitely a vibey town. It's it's a small town. It's around 41,000 residents. So small town beach vibes with a lot of history, a lot of culture, a lot of good food, a lot of good people. So that's where he's working as a lifeguard. Now, Marco's whole family, they were really good loving people. They loved their son. And in fact, Marco was the only child and they spoiled him. They spoiled the shit out of him. They made him feel secure. So he grew into this really bold, ambitious, confident man, which is what you want in a son, right? So he's 20 and he's got a dream. He's not even lost. Like when I was 20, I was so lost, but he, he has a clear direction and he knew he wanted to be a military career person, maybe a pilot, maybe something in the academy, which side note on paper, Marco seems perfect, right? But let's not act like the guy didn't have problems of his own. He did. Allegedly. Marco liked to run over stray cats for fun, on purpose. I don't even know what to say about that, honestly. That's really alarming. Yeah. I'm just going to put it out there because it is alleged. It's obviously horrible if it's true. I mean, he's got issues of his own, but I don't know if it's true. Now, anyway, Martina loves Marcos, regardless of the cats or not. I don't know if she knows about the cats. I don't know if the cats did get run over. Maybe they're chilling. 
In fact, Martina's whole family, the Chiantolis, I don't know if I'm saying that right, they all loved Marco. Martina's dad thought that his daughter found the perfect guy, the one that all the girls' dads would even approve of. And getting Antonio Chiantoli, Martina's dad's approval, was a big freaking deal. Antonio is a big shot in the Navy. He's got contacts. He works with the Secret Service of Italy. A lot of his work dealt with classified information. And he really, this guy, took head of the house really seriously. If Antonio did not approve of his kids' partners, they're out the picture. Don't even think about it. Yeah, he was like the man of the house. He was the type of dad that really wanted to be the authority figure. And he was. He was loud and he would use physical violence to make everyone listen to him. The type of person that simply needed to be in charge or he would lose his mind. To give you a picture, you know those movies where everybody's like lost on an island and a natural leader arises because they're competent and they're well-liked by the group. And they say, okay, we're going to go left. But there's always that one guy that's like, I need to be captain. Who says you're captain? Let's go right. Like even if that means endangering his own safety and the safety of the whole group, he'd rather sabotage everyone because he needs to be in charge. That's Antonio. Which I don't know how he's like that because I feel like the Navy would beat that out of him, no? And everyone would just silently follow Antonio's need. Like that's what he wanted. He was obsessed with how everybody perceived him and his family. He wanted the fancy car. He called it his baby, by the way. His car. (laughs) The car was his baby, not his kids, nor his wife. And Antonio always wore branded clothes. So did the rest of the family. Now, I don't think that they necessarily had the money for branded clothes. I don't know if they were going in debt or anything because they weren't particularly rich. They lived in a relatively small house with paper thin walls. So maybe either they are going in debt or maybe they spend most of their money on nice clothes. I don't know. I love meal deliveries. In fact, I love everything about having my meals delivered straight to my doorstep, except the delivery fees. That's why I signed up for the Dash Pass, an exclusive membership from DoorDash that lets you make an unlimited amount of fee-free orders for eligible orders. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, groceries from across town, or anything in between, the Dash Pass can get you $0 deliveries and lower service fees on eligible orders. That means you can easily save money at your favorite restaurants and groceries stores the dash pass practically pays for itself in two orders on average the math is mathing plus dash pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items and all of this for only $9.99 a month open the door to zero dollar delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else sign up for dash pass today only on doordash and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member subject to change terms apply If I offered you two different pairs of jeans and I told you that you can only wear one of them, you could probably decide in two seconds. But what if I offered you a thousand pairs of jeans and they're all slightly different and I said you can only wear one of these for the next 12 months straight. This will be your go-to pant of choice. What are you going to do? How do you even start to choose? That's exactly what I felt like when I was combing through thousands of listings whenever we were moving to a new apartment. I would spend hours a day stressing about, is this apartment in a good neighborhood? Is it going to accommodate my dogs? Does it fit my budget? I didn't know any of these. And the worst part is, most of the listings didn't even tick all of my boxes. 
That is why Apartments.com is your best place to look for your new home. Apartments.com lets you filter your search based on whether you have pets, if you want a balcony, built-in AC, whatever it is that you're looking for. The website remembers your search so that you don't have to keep filtering every time you come back. And Apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else, meaning no matter how specific your needs are, they got you. And your instant alerts mean that you can spend less time online looking for the perfect place and more time doing you. So if you're looking for a new place to call home, head over to apartments.com, apartments.com, the place to find a place. Neighbors do report through those paper thin walls, hearing a ton of yelling coming from inside the house, especially between Antonio and his wife, Maria. Maria was a hardworking housewife. She kept the house in pristine condition 24-7. She was obsessed with cleanliness. She loved organization, but not in the healthy way. She would freak out if anything was out of place, even the slightest bit, like even an inch. Some speculated that Maria was suffering from OCD, but I'm not sure. So you have dad Antonio, mom Maria, son Frederico. He recently dropped out of the military academy. He's dating a girl named Viola, and that's kind of pertinent to the story later. But other than that, Frederico's just, he's just Frederico. He's just hanging out. And then you have Martina and her boyfriend, Marco. Which, Martina's family, like I said, they all loved Marco a lot. Maybe it was the fact that Marco and Martina knew each other ever since they were young. I mean, they practically grew up together, but they didn't officially start kind of dating until they were 17 years old. I mean, the relationship between Marco and Martina and her family was really wholesome. Even during Marco's birthday party that the family hosted for him, he gave a speech. He got up and he said, I would just like to say... We've been officially dating, official, official, for like a year and a half, right, Martina? No, 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 a year and four months. No, it's a year and four months and six hours. And I just want to thank Martina for giving me the best moments of my life. And I want to thank you all, her family, for welcoming me so warmly. I mean, that sounds sweet. That sounds like they all love each other. But I can't help but be a pessimist for two seconds because, I mean, let's be real. Most high school relationships don't last. And for Marco to be this close with Martina's family, it just feels like a big heartbreak is going to come. A breakup with your first love is already so devastating, so crushing, all-encompassing. But imagine the feeling of breaking up with their family on top of that. It's like you lose a whole second family. It's just so intense. But I guess it's all hindsight because in reality, Martina's parents loved her boyfriend and that would typically be a good thing. Besides, just by looking at the two of them, it felt like the couple made sense. They're both incredibly attractive. Blonde. Martina was fake blonde, but blonde nonetheless. She was smart, ambitious. She attended nursing school. And Marco wanted to enter the military academy. And while everybody else is clapping and encouraging them, Martina hated it. She felt nervous. She felt like if Marco joined the academy, their relationship would be over. There was no way for Martina to be able to live with that feeling. I mean, she constantly thought that Marco was cheating on her all the time. One neighbor reported that their daughter couldn't even say hi to Marco on the street because if Martina saw, she would flip out. She would throw straight up tantrums in the middle of her residential street, which like do that on the next block. Don't do it on the street that you live on. That's just embarrassing. But Martina did it. So yeah, she was very jealous, incredibly possessive, and Marco's personality did not help. Now, I'm not going to say that he was flirtatious per se, but he was a confident guy. (laughs) So confident in, 
you know, could also be mistaken as flirting. He's the type to flash those big toothy smiles at everyone. And in every conversation, he just seemed to be incredibly charismatic. And it's not like he was trying to. It just it just happened. It's not like he's trying to charm someone. That's just how he talks. But other than the jealousy issue, the couple seems to be going along great. So in 2015, they had been dating for about three years now. And everybody just kind of expected, okay, this is the young high school couple that's going to get married early. Like, you know how every high school has that couple? They're like, for some reason, they're going to get married and have kids very soon. I can feel it in my bones. That was Marco and Martina. Marco was practically part of Martina's family. So made sense. Some speculated that Marco wanted this. He wanted to cozy up to Antonio, the head of the Martina house, well, the Chiantoli house, so that he could have some connections in the military career dream of his. So it just made sense. And Antonio might have latched on to Marco because his own son, Frederico, dropped out of the academy. So this is Antonio's way of having another, quote, son follow in his footsteps. Now, either way, May 17th of 2015, Marco drops by the Chiantoli house for dinner. He just got back from working as a lifeguard at the resort nearby. So after dinner, he's feeling all sticky. He's feeling all gross, salty. All that sunscreen is now just feeling so thick on his skin. And he asks Martina, do you mind if I take a quick bath? She's like, yeah, sure, I'll join you. Listen, it sounds sexual, but it wasn't. Like, she's not actually going in the bathtub with him. She's going to be washing her face in the sink. So all of Martina's family are home, including Frederico and his girlfriend, Viola. Martina wasn't trying to do anything nasty. She was just sitting in the bathroom, chit-chatting with him while he bathed. She's doing her skincare routine. And at some point in that night, I don't know if all the family was in and out, but at some point, Antonio, the dad, he knocks on the bathroom door and is like, hey, can I come in? Again. I don't know how many bathrooms this family has. Maybe they're all sharing one. Or maybe they're that comfortable that the whole family was in and out while Marco is taking a bath. Maybe they're washing their face. Maybe they're grabbing their things. Listen, I'm not sure, but I imagine it was very casual. It just didn't feel strange. Like, that's what everybody's letting on. This is just the energy that they're putting out there. Maybe Marco was so a part of the family that everybody treated him like that. Literally like family. So Antonio is like, hey, can I come in? Marco, sure, sure, come on in. It's about 11.15 when Antonio walks in. There's no shower curtains. So Marco is just waddling about in clear water, I'm assuming. And his girlfriend's dad has just walked in. Meanwhile, Martina, who had been washing her face in the sink, when she sees her dad come in, she decides to leave. I don't know why. Maybe she left to go get something. Maybe she needed a towel. Martina leaves. That's all I know. She closes the door behind her. And now it's just Antonio and Marco in the room alone. And Marco, like I said, is butt naked in the bathtub. Well, yes, they're not alone. They're with Antonio's guns. Listen, I don't know why someone would keep guns in the bathroom. But Antonio had guns in the bathroom. Like, not one for safety in case he's ambushed in the bathroom. I don't know why he would be, but like, you know, not one, but a lot of guns. And Antonio is a military man, but his position had nothing to do with guns. On top of that, his gun license was expired. So he wasn't just keeping guns in the bathroom. He was keeping illegal guns in the bathroom. Later, Antonio would be asked about why the hell he had guns in the bathroom. And this is his explanation. Well, I usually keep them in the safe, but that morning I had taken the guns out of the safe so that I could clean them. You see, I had shooting practice coming up and I didn't clean my guns in a while. Which, side note, Antonio completely ignores the fact that his gun license has been expired, but whatever. 
He says, I took them out for a clean, but as I'm cleaning them, my wife is all like, honey, honey, I need you for something. So I had to rush out, but I didn't want to leave the guns out in plain sight. So I put them in the bathroom cabinet. And when Marco was taking a bath, I'm like, oh, shoot the guns. I need to get them out and put them back in the safe. I didn't want anyone to get hurt, you know? Besides, what would Marco think of all of us if he just opened the bathroom cabinet and saw some guns sitting around? That would be alarming. So anyway, I went in to take them out. The whole explanation is weird. You don't want Marco to find a gun after his bath because he'll be shocked. So you would rather take out the gun out of the bathroom while he's taking a bath and he can see you walking out with guns like that's that's alarming. I don't know the logic on that one. Antonio goes to the cabinet, takes out the guns, and I imagine Marco was shocked. Now, Shocked in the sense that he's not alarmed that he's going to be hurt, but just imagine taking a relaxing bubble bath and your girlfriend's dad enters the bathroom, pulls out two guns. Are you still going to be relaxing? Are you still going to be turning yourself into a bubbly Santa Claus? Little bubble bath beard? I don't think so. You're like, what are you, sir? I didn't, I brought her back home on curfew. What are you talking about? But according to Antonio, he says, Marco was not alarmed at all. In fact, Marco was excited. Antonio could tell. I don't know how he could tell. Were the bubbles not bubbling? I don't know. Was there a reason he thought so? It's just all so strange. Like, I'm trying to point to the fact that, how do you even know? (laughs) So Antonio claims Marco has been dying to see his guns. And he's been begging him for ages. Please, show me your guns. Show me your guns. I want to learn how they function. I want to learn how they were used. Give me some gun lessons. So when Antonio pulls them out, Marco doesn't want to lose this opportunity. He asks Antonio, oh, could you please just show me the guns right here, right now? I would imagine most people would say, oh, my God, like, let me get out of here. And like, maybe you can give me a lesson. Yeah, your hands are wet. Everything's wet. Exactly. And mind you, Marco is stark naked in the middle of a bubble bath. I don't know if you guys have ever taken gun lessons. I, I took a couple gun lessons. The last thing you would want to be around a gun is naked because you already feel like vulnerable and you're with this very scary thing that you've always been taught is so disastrous, right? So it just feels you're nervous. Why would you want to be naked? Yeah. It just adds to the dilemma of like, I don't think a normal human would do that. So Marco's stark naked in the middle of a bubble bath. It's just not the ideal gun gazing, gun learning experience. Now, Antonio allegedly is like, ah, this is awkward. I don't really want to show you my guns while your gun's just out and about. (laughs) But Marco keeps begging and begging. Please show me the guns. Oh, please, pretty please, please show me the guns. Antonio makes it seem like Marco was just dying to hold the pistols in his soapy, shriveled bath fingers, which I highly doubt. So he claims, he keeps telling Marco, no, don't touch it with your wet hands. I'll show them to you, but just don't touch them. Again, Antonio is making it seem like Marco is this little kid trying to snatch the gun with his grubby little hands while he's butt naked in the bathtub. The whole explanation is strange. For example, if Marco was trying to get the guns from Antonio with his slippery bath hands, does that mean that Antonio was crouched close to the bathtub, close enough for Marco to reach over and grab the guns? Or did Marco stand up in the tub, literally exposing all of his private parts to his future father-in-law because he was so desperate to touch a gun? You see why it's hard to understand Antonio's story? Yeah, nothing makes sense. Exactly. It's like one of those, um, I hate these, like even when the cops sometimes for popular cases give you an explanation, you're like, technically, is it possible? Yes. But would a human actually do that? No. Like it just doesn't 
vibe with human emotions and human natural instincts. So now, according to Antonio, he put the guns inside of a pouch and he's got this pouch slung over his left shoulder. So he's kind of holding it like a little knapsack. Is that what you call it? Like a little sack of guns. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. And Antonio is like, okay, let me put the the rest of the guns in this little sack. And you know what? I'll show you one of the guns. Let me grab it. So with his right hand, he goes into the little sap that's still over his left shoulder, pulls out one of the guns, and he claims that as he pulls it out with his right hand, the pouch slips out of his left hand and like kind of down his shoulder. So he's saying his natural instinct was to jerk his right hand, the one with the gun in it, to the left side to grab the pouch that's falling down. Like, imagine you're holding your phone in your right hand and your purse is falling off your left shoulder. Maybe you would instinctively jerk your right hand with your phone inside to grab it before it falls. Well, that's what Antonio claims he tried to do. But he ends up firing the gun in the process. The gun was shot. You guessed it. It shot Marco. Wow. What a bizarre scenario. I mean, this statement just boggles my mind. The fact that this guy thinks that people will sit there and believe it, that that is crazy to me. Antonio, the naval officer employed in secret services in Italy, this is a man who knew how to handle firearms. But the way that he's describing the whole incident is that of a kid who had never taken a gun safety training class ever. First of all, Antonio claimed that he was cleaning the guns. Why were there life bullets in the gun if you're cleaning it? That's good. Yeah, it's like, what do you mean? And the gun that Antonio shot Marco with, he would have to cock the gun before firing it. Mm -hmm. So if he were cleaning it, why was the gun cocked and loaded? I mean, it's strange. Are you just playing Russian roulette with your own fingers while you're cleaning it? That's so dangerous. So Marco was shot by the gun. I don't believe that he was accidentally shot, but you get it. The bullet entered Marco's left upper arm. So like right under his shoulder. And it went through his arm and into the left side of his torso because his arm was right next to his side. And it enters into the left side of his torso. It punctures his left lung, but it stops short of his heart. The bullet had this downward trajectory going from the upper tricep and downwards towards the torso. So, I mean, essentially someone shot down at him. But remember, Marco was trying to get Antonio's gun from him. So does that mean that Marco got up, tried to get his gun, but it didn't work. So he very quickly laid back down in the bathtub, acting like nothing happened. And then Antonio grabbed one of his guns and shot him by accident. I don't know. So not only did Antonio accidentally shoot a loaded gun, but he managed to shoot it downwards. Now, let's assume that his story is true. I just can't get over the part that this military man that works with classified information You're telling me he's cleaning his loaded gun in the bathroom and later while he's showing it off to his future son-in-law, he had his finger around the trigger while he's holding the gun? I mean, what if it accidentally fired? The whole story is just five levels of unbelievable. It just feels like a 13-year-old kid that has never handled a gun before. Mm -hmm. And even Antonio believed that his story sounded like shit because later he would change his story multiple times. He would say, actually, I lied. Um, The pouch didn't slip. What really happened, and you have to believe me on this one, because obviously I lied the first time, but why would I lie a second time? Anyway, what really happened was I was joking around with Marco. I took the gun and pretended to shoot him, and I thought it was hilarious, right? Which, side note, Antonio, I never thought that I would say this, but you should have stuck with your original version. This is just straight up dumb. You're in the military and you're pretending to shoot your son-in-law or your future son-in-law. 
for what giggles? Now, Antonio claimed he didn't know that the gun was loaded, but why even pull the trigger at all if you're pretending to shoot someone? And I'm not saying that you should ever pretend to shoot someone. You should never do that. Listen, like I said, I've had some gun lessons and the first two things that they pound into your head nonstop. The first one is never have your finger on the trigger unless you're literally about to fire the gun right now. Not in 10 seconds, not in a minute, not on your way to fire the gun right now. Don't ever put your finger on the trigger. And rule number two is that never point the gun at something that you would never want to accidentally shoot, such as yourself, your foot, your head, somebody else, your dog, even if your finger is not on the trigger. My instructor had me practice with a fake gun a million times, like how to carry it if I had to carry it from a room to another. So these are, I mean, Antonio's in the military. He should know these things. And I had my gun lessons in America Like, love this country, but we're freaking horrible at gun control. We're like the worst. So I just, I feel like Antonio knew these things. I feel like Antonio expects us to believe that he left his brain outside the bathroom door. But anytime that you try to tell him, Antonio, it's just not making sense. The math is not mathing. He would get upset and just say, well, I'm not a weapons expert. Well, I'm not a weapons expert. Now am I? So now back to Marco. He's in the bath. The bullet wound appeared to be quite small. It's just how it worked. He wasn't bleeding profusely. In fact, there was relatively little blood, which doesn't negate or take away from the fact that he was just shot and he's bleeding profusely internally. Now you're thinking, well, the rest of the Chiantoli family had to have heard the gunshot. And Martina is pissed that her dad shot her boyfriend. They're calling an ambulance as we speak. And the rest of the family, they're rushing to the bathroom to see what the hell is going on. Well, Frederico comes into the bathroom first, followed by his sister, Martina, the girlfriend. Now, Antonio says that his children walked in and was like, what the heck, dad? They look at him. They look at Marco. They look at the gun. And without even exchanging a single word between the group, the kids just assume that their dad, Antonio, had fired an air shot, like a fired a blank. While Marco is suffering in the bathtub yeah he's like moaning and groaning in the bathtub and they're like well he definitely fired a blank and he's probably just stressed from the sound of the gunshot i guess they're trying to argue that marco's wound was so small that none of them believed he was shot which like okay let's just say we'll give them that but like he's not feeling well like yeah yeah, i get it the water is not filling with this red color like He's not just sitting there like, oh my God, that was so loud. I can't believe you just did that. That scared me. Oh my God. Guns are cool. Like he looks like he's dying. So what does Frederico the son do? He scoops up his father's guns and hides them in his own bedroom under his mattress. Yeah, because that's what you do when your dad fires a blank shot and nobody was shot or hurt because it's he he giggles. But like, seriously, let me hide the gun. And once Frederico is done with that, Antonio asks his son to help him pull Marco out of the bathtub because, you know, he's in so much shock from the loud noise of the gun that he can't come out of the bathtub himself. Oh, my gosh. So they pull him out of the bathtub, place them on the the parents' bed. So Antonio and Maria's bed. And again, they still claim that they don't think Marco was shot. They put him on the bed and Martina, seeing her boyfriend distressed and moaning in pain for apparently no reason, uh, nobody is asking, nobody is saying, hey, dad, did you by chance have a loaded bullet in that gun? No, she doesn't ask that. Martina, instead, she grabs a blow dryer, a hair dryer, and starts using it to dry off Marco, like his body, which is just weird. I mean, he'd just been inside the bathtub. Mind you, Marco is butt naked in front of the entire family and they're just hovering over him while he's laying on the parents' bed. 
and Martina, his girlfriend, is trying to dry him off with a blow dryer. The whole thing is so suspicious. I have never heard anyone of doing that to anyone ever. Like, what is the purpose? Why not use a towel? I don't understand. Is it because you don't want blood on a towel if you are suspecting there might be blood anywhere? Mm. But it would still get on the bed. So I don't know. So Marco is naked and mind you, he's in pure agony. He has a pierced lung and severe internal bleeding. He can feel it. He knows something is wrong. And Martina just keeps blow drying. Maybe they're trying to cover up any moaning noises because they have paper thin walls. It's just so strange. The wait is over. That is right. Season 5 of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. When I was in high school, I had this ritual every day after coming home from school. I would grab a salty snack, sit down, watch my favorite mystery drama on TV. And recently, I discovered the adult version of that, which at the end of the workday, I grab salt and vinegar chips, snuggle up on the couch, and I play June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden objects mystery game that makes me feel like I'm living inside of a mystery TV show that is very immersive. You play as Detective June Parker, and you just found out that your sister and husband were murdered. This is a fictional story. So you fly from London to New York to investigate, but the clues are just not adding up. So you get to go through these series of scenes from the mansion living room to a lavish garden to a 1920s style New York cafe. In each room, you have to find hidden objects that help you solve the mystery of your sister's death. And in the meantime, a whole lot of unexpected, just scandalous twists are going to happen. There's family secrets, danger, there's romance. I love traveling all over the world with June. Currently, I'm exploring Paris in the 1920s because the game is set in the 1920s it just has the most aesthetic game design ever and it's so cozy whenever i need a break from the suspense i can pause the story and head over to my private island yeah they give you a private island and you get to customize it however you want for you i love cottage core mixed with that old money vibe with a huge mansion and a luxurious garden and even like this train rail june's journey is the best way to unwind at the end of a long day or just to take a break in the middle of the day when i feel overwhelmed i can escape all of my problems and turn into detective june discover your inner detective when you download june's journey for free today on ios and android then eventually she decides you know what it is a little weird that my boyfriend is naked in front of the entire family so again they're saying that nobody once asked dad, hey, are you sure you fired a blank? Because that's weird. What happened to him? Is he okay? They're just being creepy, mindless zombies standing around him. Like he's some part of rich, like he's going to be some part of a ritual. I don't know. It's <sighs> Martina decides, wait, again, we got to put some boxers on this guy because he's naked. So she grabs his boxers and puts them on for him. Once she covers up his private parts, the whole family is like, well, we should probably just like put on more clothes. They just ignore the fact that he's in so much pain, he can't even pull up his own boxers. And instead of calling for help, they start putting pants on him, a shirt on him. And with every movement, I'm sure Marco was feeling intense pain. He's begging for help at this point. And the whole family are standing around the bed, just floating blurry heads in his eyes, telling him, shh, calm down. It's going to be okay. Don't worry that little brain of yours. You're going to be okay. You're just in shock. You're having a panic attack. Antonio fired a blank and you were so nervous you're having an anxiety attack. 
I mean, talk about gaslighting. Marcos can barely move or talk, and he might believe that the family thinks this to be true, but he's trying to tell them, no, please, I need help. Again, his injuries were not visible. In fact, the bullet entrance wound looked more like a cigarette burn than anything. Even the paramedics would later note how small the wound was. But I think that's more alarming because if someone near me and I I couldn't see what's wrong with them physically, there's no signs of trauma, there's no blood, but they're in a lot of pain. I think I would feel even more panicked. Like, okay, are they having a seizure or a heart attack or is something going on inside that I don't know? I would immediately call emergency services. But at this point, it's 1140. Marco had been shot 20 minutes ago. And Viola, Frederico's girlfriend, she's the only other person than Marco that's insisting that they call for help. She's convincing her boyfriend, Frederico, we got to do something about it. So Frederico picks up the phone, dials 118. That's like their 911. And he says something along the lines of, there's a guy here who feels sick. His face is all pale and he's not breathing. And then he corrected himself and said, actually, the guy is breathing, but he's having a hard time breathing. Now, the operator is clearly concerned. Like, what do you mean what happened? Like, what, what do you mean they're not breathing? And Federico is like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really sure what happened. I think he's been sick or something. And I guess Maria, the mom, is getting frustrated with Federico's answers. She takes the phone from her son and tells the operator, oh, I'm sorry about that. The guy in question was ill, but he's feeling a lot better now. And she hangs up the phone. What? The depressing part about all of this is that had the ambulance arrived at this point, Marco would have likely been saved. So he's dying, losing blood internally, but he wasn't beyond help. Now, I think that this is the point where Marco realizes that the Chiantolis have no intention of helping him. In fact, he's beginning to realize that they're doing the opposite of helping him. They're hurting him. So he's cornered. He's a hostage, essentially. He starts screaming bloody murder like a madman. And remember, the walls of the Chiantoli house are thin. So the neighbors must have heard. But they did nothing. And eventually, Marco screams they die down. He's so exhausted. To scream like that, he would have had to contract his abdominal muscles incredibly hard. He had to fill his lung with a lot of air, which would increase the pressure inside the chest cavity, which would have worsened the bleeding. Eventually, Marco didn't even have the energy to speak. So Frederico, the brightest guy in the room, says, he's not looking so good. Maybe we should call 118 again. Now, even up until this point, the family claims that they have no idea that Marco was shot. Well, everyone but Antonio. Antonio, he claims that he accidentally shot the gun and the gun fired, but he didn't think that it hit Marco. He thought it was an utter coincidence that Marco was suddenly acting like he was dying. He truly thought it was shock. So Frederico and Antonio go to the bathroom to investigate. They find a shell casing and they're like, oh my God, wait, it wasn't a blank. So like he's been maybe shot for real. So Antonio calls 118 and his tone during the entire conversation, I imagine, I mean, just think about how mind blowing this information would be. You accidentally shoot a gun. You think you fired a blank. Turns out it's not a blank. You shot a guest in your bathtub. You shot your daughter's boyfriend. I mean, just the series of revelations that would be, the adrenaline alone, you would be screaming. You would be just overly animated. But Antonio's calm. The transcripts go something like this. 118 Rome, good evening. Uh, good evening. Hey, uh, listen, I have an emergency at my house. This is the address. And as the operator is verifying the address, they can hear Marco screams from the back. Marco is gasping for air. He's moaning. And Antonio says, well, listen, I could just drive him to the hospital if you need. Why? I can send you an ambulance if you need it. Why would you want to drive him to the hospital yourself? Oh, I don't know. I guess to save time, theoretically. 
Meanwhile, Marco is yelling, stop, enough, stop, enough. What? The operator asks for Antonio's full name and then asks about how old Marco is and what's the problem. Antonio responds, he's 20 years old and he got into an accident, basically, in the bathtub. Oh, uh, did he fall? Yeah, basically, he fell down and he got punctured by a little, um, what do you call those? Like those, those combs, like a hairbrush, like the sharp pointed end at the end of a hairbrush. So then what happened? I mean, I think it like stung his arm, but he got scared and now he's full on panicking. Meanwhile, Margo is screaming in the back. He's using whatever strength he has left because I'm sure this feels like the last chance to get help. He's internally hemorrhaging from the bullet inside of his chest. There's no exit wound. It's in his body. Meanwhile, Antonio is going on about how Marco somehow slipped and impaled himself on a hairbrush and then had a panic attack. And Marco knows that's not the damn truth. So at first, even the operator isn't buying it. They're like, but I can hear that he's moaning pretty loudly. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, I have a question. Is he able-bodied or is there any other issue with him? No, no, no. He's able-bodied. I'm simply asking because I can hear his voice and it sounds strange like he's in a lot of pain. No, no, no. He's just scared and panicking. Okay. And what's his name? Marco Vanini. Does he have like a laceration or a cut on his body? Yeah, there's a small cut. A small cut? Yeah, but he's really panicked about it though. And in the back, you hear Marco screaming, please, enough, please. And he's screaming again more and more. And he continues to scream. And he keeps saying things like, I can't do it. Enough, please. I'm sorry. Antonio tries to calm the operator down and says, see, this is the panic that I was telling you about. He's freaking out. Okay, well, I'm sending you an ambulance. Okay, thank you. And they hang up. The whole thing sounds like two friends just catching up. Even the operator had no sense of urgency, which I don't know. Maybe they're trained to not sound panicked and stress the civilians out. But it's almost like they're not even the least bit worried about Marco. I think at this point, the operator was skeptical about sending an ambulance and wasting resources on someone that didn't need the help. Meanwhile, there could be people actually dying. But at the same time, you can hear Marco screaming and it's just overall... Better safe than sorry, you would imagine an operator would think like that. So throughout the 118 call, Marco is incoherent for most of it, but you can tell that he's screaming in pain. Now, a lot of native speakers have said that it sounds like he keeps repeating enough, enough, and he's in pain. He's almost out of it. His words are starting to slur, but he's saying enough, and it sounds like he's almost frustrated. So the question is, why is he saying enough? That's an odd thing to say when you're dying. I can imagine, please help me. What's wrong with you? I need help. I'm serious. Let me go. But enough? It's a bit odd. And he was talking to Martina while he was saying that. Because in the audio clip, every time Marco says enough, enough, Martina responds with yes, enough, yes. So it sounds like he's almost pleading with her. Now the question is, why would he plead with her? If Martina is the girlfriend, why wouldn't she just help him? And why would he plead with her when her dad just accidentally shot him? So I just want to point out, there's no way in hell that she and Tolly family was just sitting there listening to Marco just groan in pain like this for 45 minutes and they just believe that he's fine. That to me is completely mind boggling. The neighbors also reported hearing Marco apologizing to Martina saying, Martina, I'm so sorry, Marty. I'm so sorry. Which like, again, love how the neighbors hear that, but they apparently don't hear that he's screaming for help or maybe they did and they didn't bother calling the police. Anyway. Why was Marco apologizing to Martina when allegedly her father had just shot him? Well, people have a theory online. 
Remember how Martina was super possessive, very controlling, and incredibly jealous? Well, allegedly, Marco complained to his mom that he couldn't stand it anymore and he wanted to break up soon. The theory is that Martina might have been mad at something real or perceived. Maybe she thought that he was cheating on her. Maybe he was. Or maybe he was being too flirtatious. Regardless, the theory is Marco did something to make Martina mad. Maybe he even wanted to break up with her. And she shot him. And that is why this story makes no sense. Because Antonio's story doesn't make sense. Because maybe Antonio didn't shoot Marco. Mm. Maybe Martina did, and he's taking the fall for his daughter. That would explain why Marco was apologizing to Martina and telling her enough. Almost as if he's implying that he's paid the price for his crimes. Like, enough, I did everything you asked me, Martina. Like, enough, like I'm in too much pain. This is enough, please get me help now. Personally, I agree with this theory. I mean, it makes more sense than what Antonio was selling to the police. For one, Antonio had no real motive. And while I do think that this is a guy that would have no qualms about shooting someone randomly, I just don't think it would happen in this situation. Because Antonio saw himself as the man of the house, the leader, the protector. I don't think that he would have accidentally shot someone in his house because that would be incredibly embarrassing for a man like Antonio. Like, can you imagine how dumb that sounds to tell your supervisor, hey, I need to, um, you got to fire me because I'm going to jail because I accidentally shot someone in my house. It sounds dumb. But I can see Antonio taking the fall for Martina because in a way, this is him showing his family that he is the protector. He's the leader. He's protecting his family. I also think that if Antonio shot Marco for some reason, we don't know. And as head of the house, if he told everyone, keep it quiet, keep it quiet, let's act like it's an accident. I don't think that they would have been able to keep it quiet for the next seven years just because their dad told them so. I think with enough police probing, you give in. Maybe you give up a little too much information. Maybe you get something a little bit confused. But if you have a big reason why you're lying, a reason that people can get behind, maybe it'll stay up better such as protecting a little sister, the youngest of the family, protecting a daughter. Maybe Martina would even show signs of guilt, like she, she wants to tell Marco's parents and help them, like, oh my, I can't believe my dad accidentally did this. I'm so sorry. I, I love Marco so much. But she didn't do any of that. Unfortunately, we can't prove or disprove this theory because even the police seem to be drinking something weird in this case. They just really dropped the ball. They didn't even seal off the house as a crime scene. They never searched the house for blood residue, gunshot residue. They never tested the gun for fingerprints. They never tested the family's hands for gunshot residue. Nothing. Nothing at all. So you're like, okay, well, maybe Marco can help. Maybe he can tell the police exactly what he saw. Well, remember the relaxed 118 phone call? Mm -hmm. Or I guess 118 really didn't think that the call was that urgent. So the ambulance took their sweet time. I get it. You don't want to waste resources. Other people need help. They're actively dying and you think that this is like a prank call or something. But, And I believe in Italy, there's four levels to the urgencies that ambulances respond to. It's kind of like this in the US. I don't know the precise number of levels, but there's different classifications. Mm -hmm. If somebody's like having a heart attack, that's like level one. If someone is shot and bleeding to death, yeah, that's level one. But this was like the lowest. They're like, we don't know. Maybe he's having a mental breakdown. It was level four. Like it's all in his head which I get it. I get it. There's only so many resources, but I'm just saying if someone is having a full on mental psychotic breakdown like this, I would say that's pretty bad. I would say they're a danger to themselves and to those around them. So anyways, the ambulance arrives. They find Marco's barely conscious body. Well, they almost trip over him. We'll get to that. He's drifting in and out, muttering enough help mom over and over. 
He's out of it. He can't even respond to paramedics. And even when the paramedics get there, the family doesn't tell them what happened. They just shrug their shoulders and they leave the house to get fresh air outside. So the paramedics, they know that something is wrong with Marco, but they don't suspect that he's been shot. I mean, his wound is so small and they put clothes on him. It's like a cigarette burn, even if he was stark naked. The paramedics didn't even consider that he had been shot. I don't even think they thought that he was in the bath because he was dry at this point. And the family, they're just hanging out outside. Frederico, Viola, and Martina. You would think that Martina would be right next to Marco, holding his hand, trying to get him the best help possible, trying to answer all the paramedics' questions. Exactly. But no, she's outside. And when a paramedic came to ask her, what happened to your boyfriend? She just casually said... I don't know. I wasn't there, which I mean, that is so cold. So at this point, basically, they're not trying to save him. No, they probably want him to To be dead. So he can't talk. Right. But this is also making them look so suspicious. I don't know. I think they just truly not trying to save him, but they also don't want to have like a murder case Mm. right then and there on their hands. So they're like, let's just do our best not to help the situation. So hopefully... He, he passed away, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is so cold. The paramedics asked the family, why was Marco on the floor when we came in? So apparently, Marco was on the floor right next to the door of the bedroom. They took him off the couch. I mean, it's speculated that they did this so that he wouldn't bleed on their furniture, which is heartless and cruel. But Martina said it's so that he could be closer to the door so that the paramedics could get to him quicker, which is... I mean, you guys waited 45 minutes to call for help, but now you're so concerned about the two seconds it would take the paramedics to get from the door to the couch, which, by the way, imagine storming into a room trying to save someone's life to almost step on them since they're on the floor next to the door. You just don't expect him to be there. It seems like they put him there so that he wouldn't bleed on the furniture. So the paramedics keep asking the family what the fork happened because none of this makes sense. It's all confusing. Antonio repeated his stupid hairbrush story that Marco slipped and fell in the bath and impaled himself on a comb. And the rest of the family is just there listening to this. I mean, nobody thought that they would find the bullet in Marco's chest. Maybe they genuinely thought that the hospital would be like, this was an accident. And then the parents would be like, we don't want an autopsy. Let's just bury him. Later, when Antonio was confronted with his batshit crazy lie, he said, Oh, that? Yeah, I have no idea why I said that, to be completely honest. Later, Antonio stated, You know what? I do know why I said that. I actually lied in order to protect Marco. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, he's trying to join the military academy, and the military academy doesn't take people who had serious injuries, such as having been shot. You know, so I didn't want him to lose his dream of being in the academy. So I made up this lie that it was like a hairbrush situation. I thought that Marco would survive and eventually he would get into the military academy. So the paramedics rush Marco to the hospital. They have no idea what's happened. They genuinely think that he's fallen on a hairbrush. And the story keeps going because these people really have no shame. The family call Marco's parents and let them know, hey, um, don't worry, nothing big is going on, but... Marco's a little bit sick. Like, he's going to be fine. He just fell down a flight of stairs. That's all. They're like, what? I mean, even if you fall down the stairs, let's say you fall down the stairs enough to be hospitalized, that's terrifying. So, of course, his family rushed to see him, which, side note, the paramedics asked if anyone wanted to be in the ambulance with Marco while he was rushed to the ER, and not a single person said yes. They were like, no, that's okay. Not even Martina. It's guilty. Yeah. Only guilt. Like, you would have to 
cry me out of the ambulance if one of my loved ones is in that ambulance. Like you would literally have to claw me out. You know, a lot of killers mm-hmm. they will pretend to be yeah. innocent, so they will pretend to do the right thing, yes. which is stay in the ambulance with your boyfriend. Yes, but they're not doing that. I think either they're really that cold-hearted, or they can't look the paramedics in yeah. the eye, or they can't look Marco in the eye. Exactly. Which guilty. doesn't make them better people. It's just they're guilty. Yeah. yeah. So not even Martina. In fact, Martina didn't even go to the emergency room. She stayed home with Viola, Frederico's girlfriend. Her parents and her brother drove to the ER in their own car. Now, it's suspected that Martina and Viola stayed behind to clean up the house because the police saw no blood in the entire house, none that was visible to the eye. And you're like, well, duh, test it with luminol. You know, we know this from watching CSI, so surely the police know this. Well, they didn't feel like it. They just didn't do it. They're like, there's no blood. Meanwhile, Marco's rushed to the ER. His hands, lips, they're purple. His face is this ghostly white. His eyes look glazed over. I mean, the hospital knew that whatever they needed to do to save Marco, they couldn't. This is a small town hospital. They're 25 miles from Rome. So my guess is for really bad operations, they redirect the patients to the major hospital in Rome instead of making this a major hospital. If the Chiantolis had wanted to help Marco, they could have told the paramedics something, anything, initially, to say, you need to take him to the hospital in Rome. But they just let him go to the small local hospital. It's like more like an urgent care. So when Marco's family got to the hospital, they immediately want answers. And Frederico stepped in to give a different story. He said, my father Antonio was cleaning his gun in the bathroom and Marco was shot. But the bullet only went into his arm. So we didn't think it was a big deal. We didn't think he was seriously injured. We didn't want to make a big fuss out of it. It just grazed his arm. And as soon as the hospital realized that Marco had been shot, they're arranging an airlift for him to get him to the Rome ER because, yeah, it's that bad. This guy has internal bleeding. He's going to die. So they're trying to rush him into operation. But once Marco was loaded onto the helicopter, they were airborne for a few minutes. The helicopter comes back down and Marco's parents are like, what's going on? Why is the helicopter coming back down? It was just after 1 a.m. And there was no reason for them to get to Rome because Marco was dead. It's believed by a lot of the medical staff that if Marco got help right then and there when he was shot or even during the first or the second 118 call, he likely would have survived. And I think that this is all made worse by the fact that Martina was in nursing school. She knew that Marco, I mean, anyone would have known that he needed help, but she especially knew. And she knew that the local Ladispoli hospital would not be able to help him. And I think that's when they feel more confident telling the truth at that moment because they knew, oh, finally, he's here now. Yeah. It's probably too late now. Like he's dead. Yeah. And then he said, oh, you know what? It was actually a gunshot. So after Marco passes, Antonio tries to bribe a doctor to keep quiet about Marco's cause of death. He tried to reason with him. I could lose my job if this story comes out. Well, the story did come out, and the Chiantolis were charged with Marco's murder. Side note, before we get into the court proceedings, a bit about Marco's death, like some odd, bizarre details. The day that he was shot, Marco was paid. I don't know if he gets paid like twice a week, once a week, I don't know. But he had 100 euros in his pocket, and the police never recovered that money. So straight up, the family, the killers, they took his money too. I know that 100 euros is not going to change anybody's life, but are you kidding? Like, that's so gross. Mm -hmm. And the family, remember how they dressed Marco? Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't put him in his original clothes. They gave him new clothes. And for some reason, the police never confiscated Marco's original clothes. They just really didn't do anything. 
One of Marco's friends, on behalf of Marco's family, went to recover his clothes and his money. Now, his money was never recovered, and when he got the clothes, he's like, oh, thanks, and Martina pointed out that she had washed them. Now, that's weird, because first of all, the friend would have never even noticed that the clothes were washed to begin with, and now he's like, that's strange. Why did you feel the need to point it out, and why did you wash them? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, the police took them in and returned them because there was no evidence or anything on the clothes, so I washed them because they were in police possession. It felt like she was worried Marco's parents would notice that the clothes were washed and she wanted to go ahead and give a really bizarre reason for the washing. And another thing to note is that Marco's shirt was never recovered. This is shady because Marco was shot through the arm. Was there potentially a bullet hole in the arm, in the shirt? Because if there was, that would mean Marco had been wearing his shirt when he was shot, meaning he likely wasn't in the bathtub, and this would literally rip apart the whole family story. I mean, why else would they get rid of his shirt when the family was already facing so much scrutiny and speculation? And after Marco's death, the police were investigating, and Maria decided to casually go around chatting with neighbors. Now, Maria is not a good actress. She was essentially asking people, how much did you hear through the paper-thin walls? And one of the neighbors straight up told her, well, I heard him apologizing. I heard him saying something along the lines of, I'm sorry, Marty, I'm sorry, to your daughter, Martina, Marty. And Maria said, oh, no, you've got it all wrong. He was saying, sorry, Massey. And they're like, who the hell is Massey? Mm-hmm. Well, Massey is Marco's employer. I'm sorry, what? So you're telling me in Marco's last dying moments when he's with his girlfriend, he's apologizing to his boss? I'm sorry, but I i don't even remember my bosses. Like, what are you talking about? It doesn't even remotely make sense. But I guess it worked. Because originally, the Chiantolis were sent off with a slap on their wrist. Antonio was given a five-year prison sentence. Meanwhile, the rest of the family got three years of probation, and Viola was acquitted. And I have really... Listen, I don't think Viola participated or wanted Marco dead. But I do think that she did help clean up, because why else did she stay back with Martina? And after everything went down, Viola sent a letter to Marco's parents. And it said, I know this letter will make you angry, and I don't know anything about what happened. I didn't see or hear anything. I hope you'll forgive me. What kind of letter is that? I'm assuming that she was telling Frederico that she saw what happened or she knew what happened, and maybe he was getting mad at her. So she wrote this letter to kind of appease the family. Like, I didn't see what happened. I didn't see anything. Almost like letting them know discreetly, like she's going to keep her mouth shut. Because why else would you write that letter? It's weird. Eventually, the public was so outraged by their sentencing that the case essentially went viral. The court revised everybody's sentences. Antonio got 21 years in prison. The other three, Maria, Martina, and Frederico, got nine years and four months each. And Viola was acquitted. And just the whole thing is infuriating. I can't imagine dying and feeling yourself bleeding out only to look up at the faces around you, the ones that you consider family, staring down at you and letting you die. In fact, wanting you to die. And they still never confessed to exactly what happened. Nope. The whole thing is just despicable. And that is the murder in Italy of Marco Vanini. It's infuriating. Let me know your thoughts. Do you think that the theory that the internet has come up with makes sense? I think it makes the most sense. Yeah. Let me know, and I will see you guys on Wednesday for the main episode. Bye.